Hello and welcome to the latest Science Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Derek Hansen. So Derek is an international sport performance consultant. He's worked with athletes of all different shapes and sizes, all the way from youth athletes through to Olympic medalists. And make that transition into team sport, which uh, took takes time. It's not it's not a simple transition. It's not like you can go, hey, let's do track workouts, right? It, that doesn't fly. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. And without further ado, it's time to welcome Derek onto the show. So, Derek Hansen, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me in these uh, dangerous times. <laughs> Luckily, we're uh, more than one and a half meters apart, so uh, we're safe. Cool. So, you mentioned that it, it doesn't work to just uh, shove a track coach <laughs> in there and, and coach, uh, for example, uh, football, soccer, whatever it might be. Um, why doesn't that work? I think in the old days, you know, this maybe like 10, 20, 30 years ago, you, you would always hear about athletes who ran track or in the off season, they'll go just run, go to the track and run. And there's nothing wrong with that right now. But now fast forward. Now we have strength and conditioning coaches, physical preparation coaches. Um, we have defined times when they have to work with those coaches. And let's be honest, a lot of the time that tends to be weight room oriented, right? So. So now you have a culture where, okay, the weight room is kind of the dominant place. And as soon as you insert somebody who's like, oh, let's do running, um, it kind of shakes things up. And there's a time and a facility requirement for that. So, you know, although, you know, in theory, it should work like, hey, go sprint and then go lift. Uh, logistically, it's a lot tougher now. And then you have a lot of these coaches who don't necessarily understand how to do the programming and 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 the technical stuff in regards to sprinting and and coaching athletes so i think um my my process has really been about you know okay how do i get people on board right so whether it's the the team coach whether it's the strength coach and and trying to come up with a process whereby we can fit everybody in and make sure it works well um because if you come in and say hey we should just be doing more track training a lot of people start to uh, shy away from from what you're saying and it, it just doesn't work there's a whole like i said i wrote a, an article on the culture of speed and there's a cultural implication for everything now where you have to get buy-in and you have to get people to understand what exactly you're trying to do and how it fits in with what they're doing and they don't you know you don't want to offend people you don't want to alienate people and i think that's that's pretty important nowadays it, it is a process it's not as simple as go sprint i mean it's better than nothing like if you had no other options and you said go sprint okay great what if somebody gets injured what if you know what if somebody is a track coach and they're like hey we're going to do repeat 150s well if i'm an nba player or an, i'm an nfl running back 
that's not the best bang for my buck. And there is inherent risk there in terms of soft tissue injury if I'm not prepared. So there's a lot of pieces that have to fall into place. It's not that easy. So <clears throat> you've uh, you've got yourself, uh, let's say you're, you're, you're in a situation and you've got yourself there, uh, a coach who's like, yeah, we really want to be involved in that whole sprinting thing. We want to get more of that in there. How do you approach that from step one coming in and being like, right, okay, we're going to do some sprinting. Um, how does that work for you? A lot of it comes down to time, right? So we have to establish, I mean, and whenever you talk about time, it's, it's energy too. So, okay, well, how much time are you able to dedicate? Because again, there's different scenarios. There's off season, there's preseason and there's in season in season obviously is much more difficult, but if, if I, work with a pro team um i'm i'm asking them how much time can you dedicate to it and they may say something ridiculous like well 10 minutes twice a week or uh, and that's not unusual that that's very very typical right and that's they think well we got to have it in there somewhere so well i don't want to give up what i'm doing and the head coach doesn't want to give up what he's doing from a skill and tactical point of view so yeah you get 10 minutes right so that that's that's the problem is the time and if they don't see it as a real important thing or they don't understand the implications of having to do it right um they will throw out a number like that and then your hands are tied and you're like okay what can i do well let's do three or four reps and then okay good or let's integrate it as part of warm-up and we've done that is it optimal absolutely not um so the the first discussion is how much time are you going to give me right um and then if they give you the amount of time that you want, then okay, let, let's work with that. But that doesn't happen very often. So I think that's that's the biggest thing is the time budget. And then, you know, and then you have to find out what else are they doing? Like how much time are you doing your technical, tactical, your scrimmages, your whatever, right? How much time does a strength coach want to do weightlifting and, you know, balancing on one leg or other stupid shit, right? Um, and that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a real question. Right. Like that you have to ask, like, how much time do you want? How much time do you want? You got to do the Oprah, right? Like you get more time, you get more time. Um, and, and that's that's the biggest challenge, I would say, is is making sure everybody has an understanding of how much time is required. And are you willing to give up that time? And if you can't get past that, then you're just going to have window dressing type workouts. Right. Like, oh, let's do a couple accelerations during warm up. You know, better than nothing, but certainly not that good. This podcast is also brought to you by Gymware. Gymware have Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the world of velocity-based training and is developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based system available and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable, and specifically designed for individual use with its own social platform and automatic training log. Flex captures all the critical performance and technique metrics that people demand from a velocity-based training device. Velocity, power, bar path, range of motion, and even bar position. Live feedback is delivered through the Flex app on every lift, and the data is automatically stored for review. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com forward slash vbt future 
I, I wanted to get your thoughts on how uh, track and field-based sprinting differs from team-based sprinting. So you see arguments from, okay, uh, for example, you need a sound technical model. There are, there are lots of things which are the same. But in team sports, it's slightly different. They need more options, whatever that might be. How do you see that coming from a, a track and field perspective and then applying that to a, a team-based sport pers- uh, perspective? Well, I would say it's like uh, it's like anything. If you uh, want to start somewhere, you need a model, a technical model to kind of work from. Now, do you have to stick rigidly to it? Not necessarily, but certainly, you know, this is where you put your hand. This is where your knee comes up. This is how you step over and down. This, You know, that's all really valuable. And most athletes haven't necessarily gone through that process. So taking them through, like I've worked with, you know, pro teams and they have athletes who are phenomenal. And then you go like, well, where did you learn how to run? Well, no, I don't know. I just they gave me the ball and I ran. So sometimes through natural selection, they will find the way. But certainly there's a point of bringing them back to, and a lot of this happens during rehab scenarios. So somebody gets hurt, now you have to reteach them. And that's, I hate to say it, but that's sometimes the best way to introduce it um, because they need that. Now that now it's not natural for them. So I would say you start with a, a sprint-based technical model but then you start not, you know, I would say very quickly, you you always couch your terms and like, OK, this is what a world class sprinter would do. Now, in your case, it's going to be a little different because people are trying to, you know, if you're a rugby or football, American football, people are trying to take your head off. So if you're running nice and tall and somebody hits you, it's not good. You'll go flying. Right. So you have to lower your center of mass. You might have to increase your cadence. Um and you might have to do some different strategies with your upper extremities um, to just to survive. So I think you go through that process of going, this is, you know, this is ideal. And then this is your situation. Now we're going to start with ideal and then we're going to transition to your situation. No different than if I'm teaching somebody to shoot a basketball. Okay, this is how you position your elbow. This is how you, you know, you start with that. And then when somebody's trying to club you over the head when you're trying to make a, a you know a, a game winning shot, you know things will change. But you certainly start from an ideal position and then work from there and then get into practical situations. So, fantastic. And how do you how do you make that transfer, right? Because I imagine like the, the, there's loads of technical models which you can pretty much pay for on the internet and, and learn. But the the difficulty comes when you have that technical model and you need to make a transition to. Uh, the sport itself. How do you look at changing their their technique to make sure that they're doing the right things at the right time? Yeah, this is again, this is where the culture model comes into play because ideally, you could have them training again as a track specialist and and teach them all the the great technical terms and cues and all these fancy things, right? Um, but you also understand that they have a significant amount of time in their sports specific practices and training sessions, right? So, you know, you could teach them the ideal model and then you could have somebody cue them in their sports specific practice. Now, does that happen? Now, that requires that either the physical preparation coach is involved in those practices and is helping on a biomechanical level, or maybe your sports specific coach. Um, is helping and has that knowledge. So if you have a well-groomed organization, you have this interplay between the physical preparation coach and the team sport coach, and they're speaking the same language. Does that happen? Absolutely not, right? So, So now what happens is you have to have a physical preparation coach who's bridging that gap in their sessions and saying, okay, when you 
play the ball and you pass it off, this is how you sprint off of that. And then if you receive it again, you know, so the deficiencies on the sports specific side with that coaching staff have to be bridged by the strength coach, which is not ideal. And now you're making a strength coach become an expert in their sport, which they should anyway. So um, it really depends on the scenario. I mean, I try to not over simulate scenarios, but with, there are discussions in my sessions about, okay, you know, in a physical uh, confrontation or a, a collision, this is how you're going to prepare for it. And this is how you're going to roll off of it or, you know, so we have those discussions. Is it my job to simulate that a lot? I don't think so. I think, um, that doesn't work very well. Like I even know with my own kids, uh, we discuss it and then they'll see it. They'll watch it on television or in video games and they'll see a move and then they try and visualize that and then do that. That seems to work better. Um, but if I, uh, try to structure it in a training session. It gets very awkward. So that again, that goes back to the art of it, and then just making sure everybody is minding a lot of these technical issues through when they're passed off from, you know, might be physical therapist to strength coach to sports specific coach. So all of these things are interesting, but certainly there's a lot of variables, and um, it's not one person's job. As soon as you make it one person's job, things fall apart really quickly. So a lot, a lot of what you're doing at the moment sounds like you, you come in and you help the organization realize basically their potential, right? So maybe you come in and, and do certain uh, technical things or um, learning modules, whatever it might be. But it sounds a lot like you're pretty much just educating the staff to work well together to, to hit a specific goal. Yeah. And, and there's some transferability with all of this, right? So if and I don't want to sound like Dr. Phil or somebody who's going in and psychoanalyzing people and getting them to work better, but that is part of it. Certainly. Um, I would say that you come in and you, you show them what the potential is, right. And you draw from examples. And then if they get together and they understand the link, the language around speed and technical models and okay, that that's good. Now, Maybe they have to do the same thing with strength training. Maybe they have to do the same thing with uh, technical, tactical training and have that same level of communication. Um, so that has been, I think, more valuable than necessarily saying like uh, everybody's now a speed guru or understands the role of speed. That's some, Obviously, that's important, but maybe it's starting to bridge gaps in other areas. So, And I think that was the whole point to this is it's not just isolated to just speed. It's It's everything like, okay, injury prevention. Are the coaching staff taking the, the the correct measures to make sure that you know they what they're doing on the field is preventing injuries? Because let's be honest, um, I've heard I've heard strength coaches say things like, "Hey, I'm just having a very conservative program in the weight room because I just don't want to have any injuries. If they get in, injured on the field, then that's not my problem, right?" So you, you've, we've all heard that, right? And so now, okay, well, why are they getting injured on the field? Well, maybe we could do a better physical preparation job. But what decisions are being made by the technical tactical coach in terms of length of their sessions, scenarios that they're putting the athletes in that may be high risk? Um, I think we all have to look at those. Um, how, you know, how much time you give for warm up? What is the first session you do in a practice? Is it? Um, is there a progression with the, within each session? So I think that's important. Um, it's, 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 it's reaching everybody. And then 
let's talk to the physical therapist and the athletic trainers. Okay, well, what is your progression before you return them to the field? And are you giving them enough work in a specific sense so that when they hit the field, they're ready to go? And then once they hit the field, what is the progression? You know, so again, it's all about that that interconnectedness and communication. I think that's a, a fantastic message, mate. Um, we're pushed for time. So what I would love it if you could do is if you could give us a quick 30-second summary of what we discussed today, and uh, then I'll let you crack on with the rest of your day. Yeah, um, I would say the the crux of the discussion today has been, okay, we want to get people faster. We want to integrate speed, but it's a bigger process than just saying, hey, let's run fast. Right. Let's let's get everybody on the same page and understand. I don't think anybody's dis- going to disagree that that moving faster is not an asset to a team. Right. So, OK, we'll get past that. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have to work together so that I have enough time as a strength coach or a physical preparation coach to get my work in. And then that has to dovetail with what's happening on the field and we're not overloading in one specific area. And then the medical staff understand what we're trying to do, too, and maybe they have some input. So, again, it is an organizational approach. It's not a specialist approach. If you know, I think everything has to revolve around an organizational agreement of what we're going to do to move forward. So I think that's that's been my experience. Fantastic. That's a great message to end on. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone does who's listening as well. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, man. Absolute pleasure. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Derek for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really enjoyed that one. And I'm sure you did at home too. So off the back of our conversations today on team sports sprinting performance, I want to point you in the direction of our five must read research reviews for sport performance. That's available to download for free in the show notes. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to Derek for his time. I'm at Solomon for Science of Sport and I will speak to you next time.